Alastair Campbell is famous as Tony Blair's former press secretary, but he talks to Michael Barclay about his love of music, and particularly playing the bagpipes. Alistair Campbell needs little introduction. For almost a decade, he was Tony Blair's right-hand man, first as press secretary and then as Downing Street director of communications. He was at the heart of power through the Good Friday Agreement, the 9-11 attacks and the Iraq War, which involved him in the greatest controversy. These days, he's a writer and mental health campaigner, and he's recently published a very frank book, Living Better, how I learned to survive depression. But we must begin with bagpipes. Nobody who knows you or lives near you in North London will be surprised to hear about your passion for the pipes. I like to think that they're quite passionate as well. My neighbours honestly complain when I don't play. They, they'll say, why haven't you played this week? And I'll say, oh, well, I'll go and play now. Um, I play probably two, three times a week. I played yesterday up in the bathroom. The acoustics in the bathroom are really good. I write music. And when I say I write it, I mean that I, I kind of I riff. Uh, and occasionally, if I really like it, I will then try and remember it, play it again, tape it. And I've got a friend up in Scotland, Finlay MacDonald, at the, at the National Piping Centre. He, he will then um, turn it into music for me. This is a serious occupation. And in fact, you came from a pipe-playing family, didn't you? I did. My father, dad, he was from the Hebrides, Tyree, and uh, he learnt as a child. He was actually really musical. He played the pipes, he played the accordion by ear, he played the piano by ear, he played the harmonica by ear. And my brother, Donald, he went on essentially to be, you know, his, his life became piping. He went into the Scots Guards as a piper. He was then invalided out with schizophrenia, um, but thereafter devoted most of his life to being a piper. And he, for 27 years, he, he was piper at Glasgow University. We're going to hear him in a moment, but it must always be rather emotional for you to hear, Donald, because his life was cut short, really, by the drugs that he had to take for schizophrenia. Yeah, he died aged 62, and I remember when he was first taken ill... I was in my late teens, he was in his early 20s, and I can remember reading up on schizophrenia. We didn't know much about it at all. And I remember reading a research paper that said that the, there's a danger that the power of the, psycho, the antipsychotic drugs can take up to 20 years off an average person's life. And, uh, well, my dad was 82 when he died and Donald was 62, so I think it's fair to say that it did have that effect. It's not the schizophrenia that killed him in the end, it was the, it was the drugs wearing down his immune system. So when he started to get an excess of respiratory infections and so forth, that in the end is what killed him. This first piece we're going to hear, Lament for the Old Sword, played by uh, Donald, uh, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's quite a classical piece for bagpipes in some ways. Well, that's why I chose it, because I know, you know, you're sort of classical. And the thing is that, of course... There's a distinction in, in bagpipe music between what's called, uh, and my, my Gaelic-speaking cousins will hammer me for this, but it's called Celt Moor, which means great music, and Celt Beck, which means little music, and that's the stuff that most people would know. That's the marches and the reels and the jigs. And the great music is, is Pibroch, which is um, it's quite hard to explain to people, but essentially you, you start with a theme which is quite simple, and then you go through endless, fairly minute 
variations and then it gets more and more complicated. Donald, one of the great things about his love of piping is he made CDs and, you know, I think this is the wonderful thing about music. Even though he's dead, I can listen to him playing the pipes and, you know, I'm with him. Lament for the Old Sword, performed by Donald Campbell. And, uh, Alistair, you've inherited his special set of pipes. I have. When Donald died, we, um, we, 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 my sister and I went to clear out his flat. We found, oh, my God, seven sets of pipes, about 20 kilts. He was a bit of a hoarder. <laughs> but the one set of pipes that, that he absolutely loved that were, you know, they were the best in terms of quality, silver-mounted, ivory. So, yeah, he left them to me in his will. So they're, they're the pipes that I play now. You were only 19 when Donald was diagnosed with schizophrenia, about to take her languages degree at Cambridge and travel in Europe. So how much did that hang over your own future plans and possibly even drive you on? I'd say it was, without doubt, one of the defining moments in my life. I can remember as though it was like five minutes ago, the journey down with my dad after we got the phone call, went to this military psychiatric hospital in near Southampton, a place called Netley, and seeing Donald in this sort of cell-like uh bedroom where he was just a different person he was scared his eyes were very weren't his anymore he was drawing all sorts of you know strange things on the wall uh my dad was a vet so from if you like a scientific quasi-medical background but he you know we literally knew nothing about this and it was defining I mean I remember my mum used to say that, you know, her life changed when we got that phone call and it never changed back again. And I can remember once my daughter Grace was, she was fascinated by his illness and I remember they were sitting once talking, I was just sitting in the corner reading a book and listening and he was describing what it's like sometimes and he was saying, look, you see that plug there? When I'm not well, that plug is talking to me and then it's not just that it's talking to me, people are coming out of the plug and then snakes are coming out of the plug and then I look at, I look away from the plug so I look at the ceiling and then there's other things coming at me. And, you know, you imagine just trying to deal with it. I've had psychosis once and it was uh, it was pretty horrible but, you know, he had to get used to that, the voices in his head, the noises, people telling him to do things. Yeah, horrible, horrible. It was around that time that you discovered our next singer, Jacques Brel, and I think you discovered him really thanks to the pipes. I did languages, I did two years and then I had a year abroad and I really struck lucky, I was sent to Nice. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was possibly the best 
posting in the entirety of France because it wasn't just Nice, it was this school on the port, Port Olympia. And, uh, yeah, I had a great year. And the thing is, after a... I had to teach 12 hours a week, which wasn't that difficult, wasn't that onerous. I, I phoned my dad and I said, listen, get, send me the pipes out. I could do with the pipes out here. So he, uh, the pipes came out and I went up to a little village called... I thought, I'll go and find somewhere nice and quiet to play. And I went to a little village called Ayres, um, which is famous for perfume factories. And I found this little quiet corner and I started playing. I started tuning them up. And then I realised that, you know, people were coming out to watch, coming out of their houses. The tourists were coming down from the perfume factory. And then my box was just sort of sitting on the floor, my backpipe box, and they started throwing money in. And I thought, this is quite nice. So it was accidental. I didn't plan to be a busker. And then for the rest of the year, I honestly, it was one of the, my most lucrative years of my life because I made quite a lot of money. And then this piece of music and this performer, I don't think I'd ever... Re- I might have heard of him, I might have been vaguely aware of him, but what happened was I was hitching from Aix-en-Provence back to Nice. I'd been busking in Aix. And I got a lift with a Belgian lorry driver. And... He was listening to a kind of music station and then on came a news flash that Jack Brell was dead. And when they played Numukitapa, this guy just started crying. He was like big, you know, tough, tattooed, chain-smoking, left-arm, sun-tanned lorry driver. And he started crying. And I thought, wow, this is something else. And so I started to check out the whole Jack Brell phenomenon, which is a phenomenon. And I've been hooked on Jack Brell ever since. I think if there was only, if I was only allowed ever to listen to one musician again, I think it would be Jack Brell. Quand on n'a que l'amour à s'offrir en partage au jour du grand voyage qu'est notre grand amour quand on n'a que l'amour Mon amour, toi et moi, pour qu'éclate de joie chaque heure et chaque jour. Jacques Brel with his 1957 song When Love is All We Have. A song, uh, as you say, that you listened to a lot and still do listen to, Alistair. Reading your very moving book about depression, about psychosis, I know for you music is really important in trying to stabilise a mood. That's right, and I, and I think that might be something that I learnt or inherited, learnt behaviour from Donald. I think Donald's obsession, which it was, he had an obsession with bagpipes, I think part of it was him wanting to create his own noise, create sounds that would drown out other sounds. And whenever I'm either entering a depression or coming out of a depression... I have a, a little motto, read read books, not newspapers, listen to music, not the news. And I listen to music when I'm exercising. I quite often listen to music when I'm working. I listen to music when I'm driving. When I'm slightly manic, I do this thing where, to the tune of Flower of Scotland, I serenade Fiona all day, describing what's happening in our life. Um, you know, oh, flower of Fiona, she's at the sink making tea I can do that all day I can literally do that all day it drives her absolutely bonkers but you know at least she knows I'm moderately happy when I'm doing it so I like changing the lyrics of music I can listen to to music 
uh, on the radio, say in the car, and if something is going on in my head or I'm trying to think through a problem, I, I can, you know, take it even really kind of speedy lyrics and I can change them as I go and, and sometimes it helps me work out a problem. Be thou my vision O Lord of my heart Not be all else to me save that thou art Thou my best Lord by day
has written a series of meditations based on the Psalms. Today we hear his thoughts on Psalm 43. It's followed by Eric Satie's The Angels, sung by Barbara Hannigan with Reinbert Deleu on the piano. A response to Psalm 43. Shucked of the husk of all my wasted years, I long to step forth free of all encumbrance, to set aside the heaviness, the tears, the sin that clings so close, the doleful hindrance of resentment and regret, to let them go, roll them below the cross, as Christian once did on in his pilgrim's progress. Then I'd know a lighter step once more, the joy and gladness the psalmist longs for here. O Jesus, show me once again the path out of my sadness, and set my steps back on your holy hill. Send out your light and truth to be my witness, and since I cannot climb by my own will, abide with me and be my will, my strength, the living fountain whence I drink my fill.
Ian Rose of Soundwaves Radio in Sussex shares some of his programmes with us. Today we hear Ian talk to Leolio about the work of Tear Fund. I was fortunate to meet up with Leolio, who has first-hand experience of working in many parts of the world with the Evangelical Alliance Relief Fund, better known, I guess, as Tear Fund. He is their Disaster Management and Environment Sustainability Officer. Now, how about that for a title? And he explained what Tear Fund is. We are a professional relief and development organisation working in over 30 countries. So, because we are Christian, so we are actually um, demonstrating God's love through practical actions to help people um, with poverty issues. But as a Christian organisation, it believes in getting involved in practical ways, such as water and sanitation projects, lending for small-scale enterprises, healthcare, and tackling disasters, and not just praying about these situations. We believe these two go in hands in hands. So it is, people can't even beat prayer alone. So we believe it's an integral part, prayer plus action. So we do this throughout all the over 30 countries we're serving. Leo told me that as he travels the world in this role of his, he advises partners in affected countries how to come up with practical solutions to their particular problem. And those solutions can often be rather simple. For example, in Bangladesh, they are facing drought in the north and the flood in the south, interestingly. And in the North Drought area, we come up with a... It's actually quite a simple solution. It's called drip irrigation. So instead of irrigating the crops and the vegetables in your normal way, spray uh, irrigation, we use bottle. So each plant has one bottle. So at the bottom of the bottle, there's a little pack or a tube coming out so that the water goes exactly where it's needed. Then it saves water from uh, being evaporated quickly, and also they have a better con- uh, it ha- they have a better control so how much water they want to uh, irrigate the plants. So the result is really amazing. Tear Fund is also present in the flooded areas of Pakistan through partner organisations, helping people to help themselves. We believe that the local people hold the key to the long-term solution and it's also a sustainability issue so we can't be there forever it's the people who are in their own country can solve the problem for themselves with our help with climate change still being debated we may well feel that we are powerless to help but leolio feels differently there are several things we can do as Christians. Uh, first is, of course, to pray. So I think we truly and thoroughly believe prayer makes difference. And the second thing is to, I want to say, the, the message about loving your neighbours. So part of the debate is about who's your neighbour. So if we think people living in other countries or poorer countries are our neighbour, then we probably would think, actually, if we follow God's command of loving your neighbour, we might think about our behaviour twice. 
for example, um, the debate about CO two emission, about the the use of oil, the big cars, and so forth. So there are small things we can do. So maybe to use less resources. There's only one、uh, world, one Earth. So if we use more than our fair share, then it's a simple math. The others will use less. So we need to bear in mind that actually we ought to use our to、uh, fair share of the resources. Not to fight, not for profit, or to prove that I'm right. Not for show, no facade. Sackcloth and ashes alone aren't accepted by God. But to give and unlock the doors, to take from my hand and to place it in yours. Break every yoke and to cut loose the chains, to give clothes to the naked and a roof from the rain. Not to steal or demand what is due. Not to lie and pretend that it's true. Not to do, nor to speak as I please. Not to harden my heart to the dying, and to live at my ease. But to give you my life without keeping apart. To return to my God and repent with my heart. Throw open the door to the one locked outside, and to worship the King without falseness or pride. Prove that I'm right. 
not for show, no facade. Sackcloth and ashes alone are accepted by Day by day. 